Hey guys, it's Jaden. Welcome back to the Realities of Addiction. Today, I'm here with former world-renowned anesthesia technician, Mr. Griffin, who is now my psych teacher. Hello. <laughs> Today, we are going to be diving into the scientific side of addiction and how it affects our brain, body, and behavior. So, Mr. Griffin, can you give us a general description of addiction and, like, the definition? Yeah, so the addiction can come in many forms. I think today we're focusing on drug addiction. Yes. Um, in theory, you can become addicted to many things that cause a release of dopamine in your brain that stimulates the reward center that tells you that whatever it is you're doing feels good. So drug addiction usually refers to when you expose yourself to essentially is an artificial neurotransmitter um, and you begin to build up tolerance your body reacts in a way that adjusts to the amount that you're taking and you build up a tolerance to that drug and then when you try to stop taking that drug you have an adverse reaction called withdrawal so becoming addicted to the drug is primarily a biological response to repeated exposure and your body trying to figure out what's going on. Interesting. So I'm just going to kind of break apart what you're saying for the people who didn't go to college for this. Okay. Um, what is the reward center that you mentioned? Okay, so there's a part of your brain um, that's associated with learning um, and it's it responds to positive stimulus. Um, the primary chemical in your brain, um, it's, it's part of your, it's called the mesolimbic system. Um, and the main component of the mesolimbic system is something that's called the nucleus accumbens. And this is where you have a lot, a lot of dopamine or a lot of dopamine receptors or the part of the brain that produces dopamine specifically, something that's called the substantia nigra. And dopamine is kind of like the feel-good drug. And so if you, want, if you want to learn something and you have a positive experience with it, your brain has a way to make you say almost, hey, that's feel-good, that feels good, um, let's do this again. Let's have some more of that. And it's associated with memory, right? So this um, reward pathway deals with something called the hippocampus that helps us form memories, uh, the amygdala that deals with emotions, and oddly enough, movement, something called the basal ganglia, which helps us control voluntary motor movement. So all of these things work together to get some positive feedback to tell our brain, hey, that feels good. It provides a sense of enjoyment. Um, when someone maybe pays you a compliment, you feel good. Or when you work at, you're working at something and you finally figure it out and you feel good, it's kind of like the sense of satisfaction that comes uh, from finally accomplishing something that provides some sense of enjoyment. And that sense of enjoyment is the reward system in your brain. And so there are drugs that can kind of hijack that reward system. Like fake happiness almost? Yes, it is, it is artificial euphoria. So some of the drugs that are the most addictive um, deal with dopamine and they kind of work in that reward center part of our brain and we make the connection because they change the level of neurochemicals artificially. Like um, cocaine, for instance. Cocaine, it blocks your, the body's ability to reabsorb dopamine. 
and if your body doesn't reabsorb dopamine, then there's more of it flying around in between your mm -hmm. right, the sending nerve and the receiving nerve, and all these. And so suddenly, your body is experiencing um, a fake sense of euphoria brought about by this artificial stimulus. But only for that short amount of time while the high lasts. Yes, only for that short amount of time while the high lasts. Um, another really addictive drug that works similarly is methamphetamine. Now, like meth, it what it does, it gets into the sending neuron that produces the dopamine and kind of it forces the dopamine out. So it almost, it's as though it's creating more dopamine than there ought to be. It's sending more dopamine. And then once again, you have these elevated levels of dopamine and that makes people feel good. And that's why you get the repeated use, right? Because if drugs didn't make us feel good, people yeah. do them. What's the point? Yeah, what's the point? Um, this might seem so like a silly question, but what exactly like is methamphetamines? Like, like does it come from a plant? Like I know cocaine okay. comes so, from yeah. coca. So methamphetamine is classified as a stimulant. So within drug classifications, we have stimulants, we have depressants, we have hallucinogens. Um, there are some drugs that kind of like are stimulant hallucinogens, like ecstasy. Um, uh, strangely enough, marijuana is classified as a mild hallucinogen. So a stimulant is any substance that increases... Um, it kind of has an effect that it, it stimulates or increases the activity of your central nervous system. Whereas a depressant like alcohol decreases the activity in your central nervous system. So stimulants work in a number of ways. Dopamine is what makes you, kind of gives you the, the euphoric, the happiness part of it. Another element is something that's called norepinephrine or norephedrine. Um, norepinephrine and adrenaline are it's kind of the same thing it, it's, it does double duty so adrenaline can work as a hormone as well as norepinephrine as a neurotransmitter and that's kind of like what makes your heart go fast that's the speedy part of it so methamphetamine and as well as cocaine they're a stimulant because they work with norepinephrine and they produce a euphoric high because they also work with dopamine, right? So it makes your brain feel good and it also makes your body go fast. Um, while we're on this topic of multiple drugs, um, is there any different effects or possibly different strengths um, with injection, snorting, and smoking? I know there's different ways, of course, to do all these drugs. Does it have a difference on the body or the way the body yes. intakes it? Yes. Um, it's, they all end up in the same place. It's just how fast they get there. If you eat something, right, it's gotta go through your digestive system, right? It's gotta go through your stomach, it's gotta be broken down by the enzymes and your gastric juices, and it finally is absorbed in your, uh, your stomach, your small intestine, your large intestine, the duodenum, and all that kind of stuff. And then it filters through your bloodstream, and then finally gets to your brain. Mm. Injecting it, right, it's the, kind of like the next step. Um, you put it straight into your bloodstream. So if you inject something, typically uh, people would start out, it's called your antecubital, and that's kind of like in your arm, right after your crease of your elbow. 
um, but still it's got to circulate through your blood system through your you know gets through your pulmonary artery and then into your legs and then to the rest of your brain um, so that's effective but smoking smoking a substance is probably the quickest um, because when you smoke something you bring it into your lungs and the exchange with your your pulmonary artery and your lungs it's right there and so it's it's broken down much more quickly there are people one of the reasons why like smoking say uh, crack cocaine or methamphetamine there are people that report that they're high before they even take the pipe down um, because it acts so quickly wow. so you can shoot up it acts fast but smoking a drug it it's it, it acts even more quickly okay. because because of how it exchanges with the CO2 and stuff you're bringing it into your lungs and it's already close to your pulmonary artery to get it going around faster. oh that makes sense all right next question is what are the two types of addiction okay so um there are well yeah okay so there there are two types of addiction and primarily what we're talking about one is um the physical addiction mm -hmm. and that is interaction between you know the chemical substance displacing or replacing or pretending to be um, neuro neurotransmitters in your brain um, the psychological addiction is is kind of like the thoughts behind something so psychological addiction um, would be you'd probably be more if you're talking about in this case say THC or smoking marijuana um, more psychologically addicted because it, it addicting because it doesn't necessarily don't build up the same kind of tolerance you don't have the same sort of neurochemical interaction like you do with opiates or methamphetamine so with a psychological addiction it's you you become dependent on it psychologically because you know it makes you feel better um, say the, the a really common phrase when we're talking about drug addiction is something that's called self-medication that you may have um, anxiety or you may have a form of depression um, and you know that when you take that drug it's going to make you feel better even though it doesn't necessarily have um, the same interaction with the neurochemicals in your brain it's it's more like you have the it's more recognizing that you know that this is going to make you feel better and it reduces your anxiety and, and psychological addiction, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily always pertain to drugs and drug use and things like that. So almost like classical conditioning? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to talk about is tolerance. You've mentioned it a few times, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming this would be for the physical addiction. Yeah. How does tolerance work? Okay, so this is tolerance and withdrawal are kind of closely re related but they're not necessarily the same thing so um, when you're dealing with tolerance right so the, the underlying factor is that there are your brain is has the ability to understand what's happening as far as like the levels of neurotransmitters in your brain it adapts it, it, it well it can go whoa we've got a lot of this neurotransmitter like dopamine for instance um, so your brain recognizes drugs like you know the effects of 
how cocaine blocks reuptake and it makes it seem like there's more. It doesn't manufacture more, but it makes it seem like there's more dopamine. And methamphetamine, which actually goes into one of your, you know, a part of the neuron that, you know, reduces the dopamine in the first place. Your body understands that. And so one of the way it deals with it, it will, and this is kind of, we're, we're getting kind of like into the nuts and bolts here, where you have the ability, one part of the neuron sends out these chemicals and then the other part of the neuron catches them. So if your body says, hey, there's way too much of this neurotransmitter, what it does is it's called down-regulation, where the sites, these receptor sites that are supposed to catch the, the neurotransmitter, they start shutting down. So you have fewer of these receptor sites available. So consequently, because you have fewer of these receptor sites available, you need to take more of the drug to get the same response, and that is the essence of tolerance. Um, and I'm just going to make up some numbers here. If you have 10 milligrams of a substance and it produces a certain sense of euphoria, after a while, those same 10 milligrams no longer produce that same sense of euphoria. So what do you have to do? You have to take a little bit more, mm -hmm. and then your body will adjust to that. And then you have to take a little bit more to get the same high. Um, the, the cruel irony to that is a lot of these drugs also diminish the effect of neurotransmitter number three, which is serotonin. Um, serotonin provides this feeling of satisfaction and being satiated so that you can take more of the drug, but you don't feel satisfied when you take oh, wow. it. So you can... It's it's really the the saying is you're you're chasing that high you're chasing that first high because the first time you take the drug you you get it satisfied but that you can, can no matter how much you do of it again the re you don't get the same amount out of it yeah and so you need to take more and more and more and more and more so consequently your body is going to adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust um, and people can function this way. Um, one of the issues when we're talking about some of the downsides of tolerance, drug tolerance, is um, what what the drugs can do to you if you overdose. For amphetamines specifically, we're dealing with your heart. You have something that's called cardiac arrest. Your heart stops, right? It beats too fast and then it gets overloaded. Your heart stops. Um, the issue with opiates primarily is respiratory arrest. You stop breathing. So. If you have a functional drug addict, they can take an amount of drug over a course of time. Let's say we started at that 10 milligrams and now we're up to 50, 60, or 70 milligrams, let's say. Mm -hmm. Those 50 or 60 milligrams, if you just took that to start with, would probably kill you. Wow. So your body can adjust as long as you keep doing it. The problem is you're with these issues of down-regulating making neurons less sensitive um, is that after you stop doing it there is evidence that might suggest that when you're looking at long-term consequences of drug use um, if you're working on the the reward center and your body has turned off a lot of the neurotransmitter receptors um, for pleasure then you might find yourself more susceptible to depression because your body's already adjusted to these super high levels. Um, so it's, 
the the idea of tolerance is basically your body's ability to adjust to the new kind of rules or the new levels of the neurotransmitter and it and it tries to work with it and then you have to take more and more and more and more and more and more, and more. the other side of that coin is withdrawal it's like okay what happens when you stop taking it mm-hmm. so when you stop taking it it's like your brain you know sort of like screams out it's like what happened to all of these neurotransmitters it's like we were just you know we were just flooded with these neurotransmitters before and now we don't have any mm-hmm. and so that those feelings and depending on the drug um, those feelings that come along with between your brain's expectation of these neurotransmitters and the lack right the in terminology when you just stop it's called going cold turkey mm-hmm. um, produces a really really uncomfortable um, set of symptoms or side effects uh, for some people it's like you have the flu uh, for some people you know you get sweaty and vomiting and it's and it is it is so unpleasant and this is where you get kind of like the the collateral damage of the drug addict is that they will do crappy things to make that feeling go away um i guess more on that in a perhaps in a different yeah in a different episode yeah it's just kind of like as foreshadowing um drugs make good people do bad things yeah um they're strong yeah it's 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 awful to watch and so the so the pull is you know to continue doing these drugs right because it makes you feel bad now you're caught in the trap you're caught in this cycle of well i maybe i don't necessarily i maybe i really want to quit i understand it's an unhealthy lifestyle um but when I stop taking it, it's just awful. Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the two sides of sort of like this tolerance withdrawal and why people find it. Um, one of the reasons why um, drug addiction from a physiological standpoint, like a biological standpoint, is so difficult to kick. Um, well, it's almost like HIV, I guess, the strongest like enemies are ones that make you battle yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it is it is self-destructive. Um, the other side, I mean, then there's if you're talking about like a, a addiction and withdrawal and things like that, there's the um, the environmental component to it. Like if you're if you're doing your best to stop doing a drug and then maybe go to some rehabilitation center and then you go back to the same apartment yeah yeah you're hanging out with the same people you have all of these and this is where you get in kind of like the psychological part of addiction you have all these they're called um environmental cues or an environmental stimulus you talked about this conditioned you know this classical conditioning if you went home and you know you you cooked up a bunch of you turned cocaine into crack and you're gonna smoke it and there's your little side table with all of your stuff or whatever it is, you know, your couch where you hang out. Immediately your body is putting that together. It's mm-hmm. like when I sit at this couch during this time of the day, this is usually a thing that happens. Like people who make coffee every day, their body's like, okay, we're Where's making coffee. Where's my caffeine? Yeah, yeah, and then the caffeine. So um, some of the environmental cues for drug addiction and drug recovery involves kind of, you know, don't try not to go back to the same place where you were in rehab and this is getting to the environmental elements of addiction sometimes they will have people um 
I, it's not necessarily real cocaine, especially when I'm talking about the process where you turn cocaine into a smokable form, freebase and crack cocaine. Um, they'll have him fix it all up and then just put it away and fix it all up and then put it away. So oh. you're no longer, you're sort of like desensitizing yourself to the environmental cues. Wow. So we're going to do this and then you're going to go away or for alcoholics, we have they have a fake bar in there you're going to go to the bar and you're not going to order anything you're going to order a coke and so these environmental cues you sort of um recondition yourself to not getting high within the same social setting which is a big part of it also very hard it seems yeah yeah um now i'd like to move on to we've already kind of gone into effects but more short term and long term um like um, in the body like for short term i know that injection probably has a bad reaction to your like arms yeah. or blood vessels things yeah. like that like kind of along those lines okay some of the so um some of the perils of inter iv drug use intravenous drug use um first and foremost is where are you going to get clean needles and the contamination of the needles. This would be for heroin? Uh, this would be for heroin, and, and you can also inject methamphetamine, you can inject cocaine too. Oh. Um, so if you're just looking at uh, kind of like the short-term effects as far as like some of the perils, mm-hmm. um, HIV, hepatitis, um, you inject into the same spot and then you get an infection in the, in the skin, it becomes what's called necrotic. Um, skin necrosis or tissue necrosis is when it just starts to die and then you have to find new places to inject Um, some people inject in their feet some people inject you know in their neck Um, and those sites if you're continually poking that especially if it's not a very clean needle um, you can cause infection as well as just like you know infected at the site where you're piercing the skin and then the the downside that comes with sharing needles who aren't healthy um, as far as like how the drug works um, it enters the bloodstream and it and it you know it's able to cross the blood-brain barrier um, there are some drugs that that can't your your brain has a um, a specific mechanism that keeps some substances out so if you can take something like with dopamine you can't just take dopamine because dopamine can't cross the blood-brain barrier but you can take other substances that cause the release of dopamine in your brain. And that's how you, once you get it into the bloodstream, when you inject it, um, and that's typically kind of like the hardcore, I think that's yeah. you, you've, Years you've moved of on. Abuse, uh, yeah. You've definitely stepped up your game, as it were, as far as like, you know, committing to the needle. Um, there, I mean, yeah. So as far as injection goes, you know, and if you miss, um, you're injecting stuff into your skin. Oh my god! You know, especially with methamphetamine, um, it can really damage uh, tissue. You know, the tissue around it, and you know, th- then there's also scars. You leave track marks. Um, you know, then that elicits more behavior to hide the track marks, and so in- injecting drugs is it's 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 a very quick delivery, um, but that's uh, 
that's kind of like the the professional yeah if, if you want <laughs> the top tier yeah um what about long-term effects regarding mental health and just the way an adult would think okay so um the perceptual and behavioral effects of of the drug use right so with with stimulants you know there's the sense of euphoria kind of like the the short-term effects um that that make people happy to use the drug um the long-term effects can they you know as as kind of previously mentioned a little bit um when you with this dysregulation you turn off the ability you 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 make your reward center a little bit more numb right by by the down regulation of these um, dopamine receptors and there there are incidents where people who use methamphetamine um, suffer from perhaps chronic depression because no matter what your normal production of these neurochemicals are because depression is multifaceted serotonin gets a lot of you know uh, attention, but really serotonin, dopamine, as well as norepinephrine can have uh, effects on our mood. So if you lessen your ability to um, sort of like uh, you know, take in those neurochemicals and your brain has turned off a bunch of stuff after you stop tra- taking the drug, it takes a while for those receptor sites to come back online, if ever. Um, Anecdotally, there are people in my life who have dealt with opiate addiction. Um, and prior to dealing with opiates, they never had issues with migraine headaches. Um, opiates deal with, you know, what are called endorphins. And an endorphin comes from endogenous morphine, right? Morphine or Morpheus being the god of sleep. That's where most of, you know, morphine is an opiate. It's all derived from the opium poppy. Um, and those individuals frequently, or there have been cases of um, perpetual migraine headaches because you've, once again, you've down-regulated these opiate receptors to be less sensitive to deal with all of the, the fake opiates, right, mm-hmm. in your bloodstream. Um, uh, with dopamine specifically, some of the long-term uses, now you're looking at something, there's a condition that's called amphetamine psychosis. Um, and that works um, where your body just is overwhelmed with dopamine and it, and it literally makes you crazy. Um, wow. We know that there is a, a dopamine explanation for schizophrenia. Like if you're, you have a dysregulation or high levels or oversensitivity to dopamine, um, it is just one of the explanations and there are many factors that go into schizophrenia but dopamine is one of them Um, and we know that you can deal with psychotic symptoms of schizophrenia by decreasing the amount of dopamine with these antipsychotic drugs so we know we can decrease the levels of dopamine with antipsychotic drugs and deal with some of these schizophrenic symptoms so conversely if you have too much dopamine artificially you can develop what is called amphetamine psychosis. Um, and amphetamine psychosis, and you hear people say, you know, there's like, oh, there's these tweakers who are really paranoid, yeah. and they think people are out to get them. And it's like, that is classic, you know, if you want to make an analogy to, um, like, schizophrenia, it's like paranoia. It's paranoid schizophrenia. They board up their windows. Yeah. They think people are after them. They're looking to 
doors, you know. Um, so the long-term effects of uh, stimulants anyway, drugs that deal specifically with dopamine, is it can make you crazy, literally. So once someone has dealt with addiction and then they finally decide they want to become clean, what does the body's process look like after years of finally having it out of your system and trying to regain strength and normal? Okay, so the long-term, you know, as mentioned that there, there might be episodes of depression or mm-hmm. migraine headaches, but most people can recover. Um, so one of, the, one of the treatments is one, abstinence. Mm-hmm. You go to a rehab center. You commit to being to a rehab center, and your behavior is monitored. Um, you, you know, it's kind of like how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat it out one bite at a time. Like, yeah. And with alcohol, alcoholics anonymous, it's like this one day at a time. I'm gonna get through, and you and you make your goals really small. Okay, it's noon. I know I'm not going to use between now and one o'clock. And that's, you celebrate that, that accomplishment. I know I'm not going to use between, you know, now and six. And if you're in a controlled environment, they, they will provide kind of the, the, the format or the facility um, to re kind of train your thinking. So there's a cognitive approach and just keep you off the streets, just keeping you away from the possibility of of, of having the drugs. Um, there is another way to deal with specifically opiates, um, and that's methadone. Um, and there are methadone clinics, or historically there have been methadone clinics that will, you have to go, you have to commit to going, and methadone is kind of like, it, it fulfills the same role um, at the neurotransmitter site, at the synapse, but it doesn't get you high. So it fools your body into thinking you're taking the heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty soon, you become dependent on the methadone. And some yeah. people trying to, trying to get off methadone, um, that's, that's kind of a struggle too. Oh. But it doesn't give you... It's, it's a better alternative. It's a better alternative. Um, but for many people, you're not... Once you become a drug addict, and I think this is this is kind of a healthy way to look at it, um, you're never not a drug addict. You're you're a recovering drug addict, and you'll hear people say, "Oh, I'm I'm in recovery." It's like, "Well, when was the last time you drank or used?" It's like, "Oh, it was 1987." Yeah. You know, so it's like, all right, you're you know looking at it's a journey. Yeah, so you're you're looking at decades, but if you and and part of the recovery process is knowing yourself and staying away from the triggers or you know surrounding yourself with people that are sober yeah you know so uh and that's part of it and having family and a support group that will help you in the long term but there are people who successfully change their behavior yeah um there are some people in my life who managed to do that and there are some people who have not it's unfortunate you just kind of take the good yeah you uh, you could only do so much for some people and maybe that's a topic for another time well we've learned a lot today the main thing don't do drugs don't do 
but I just want to thank you for volunteering your time and um, just teaching me a lot about this, and I'm excited. So everyone say thank you to Mr. Griffin. Great. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye, guys. Hope to see you on the next episode. Thank you.